Do you ever feel like you're always on? What do you do when you need a moment to chill? How would you like to hit the reset button to get ready for what's next? These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nothing but nonstop hustle all the time. Sometimes you just need a moment to turn off and hit reset, and that's when you can reach for Coors Light. It's made to chill. Look, it's summertime. Transfer window is coming up. It's gonna get crazy. So if you ever just wanna, again, take a step back and relax, read the transfer rounds, read the gossip rumors, grab a Coors Light. It'll be perfect companion for all those transfer merry-go-rounds. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. The mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when the beer is cold. That way you always know when it's time to chill. When you need to hit reset, just open a Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Now that it's finally hot in Minnesota, I'm going to be looking for an easy beer to drink, and Coors Light is perfect for that. It's lagered, it's cold filtered, and it's cold packaged. It's, again, made to chill. It's crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies perfect for a moment to unwind and so when you want to hit reset reach for the beer that's made to chill get coors light in the new look delivered straight to your door with drizzly or instacart coors brewing company golden colorado and as always celebrate all right so you're listening to this podcast right now london is blue and guess what we host our podcast on anchor.fm that's right if you're looking to host your own podcast this is the easiest free way to get started. This got a content creation tool allows you to record and the podcast right from a phone. That's right. Don't even need a computer, but you can do it there too. They'll also help you distribute it, which is probably the most challenging part. You don't want to have to mess with that. They got you covered. You can get it right on a Spotify and Apple podcast as well as any other place podcasts are found. And you know what? You can monetize it too. Make a little cash for sharing your great content with the world. It's everything you need to make a podcast all in one individual place. So you know what? Head over to your app store, download the Anchor app, or head to anchor.fm to get started if you're ready to launch your podcast and make it happen. Welcome back, Chelsea fans, to another episode of the London Is Blue podcast, your home for all things Chelsea FC. Nick, Dan, and myself cover all the match reviews from the latest Chelsea matches. We cover the team news and even throw you some exclusive interviews. Thank you already for being an awesome listener. And you know what? Let's jump right in. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to our second episode of the week. That's right. Brandon, fortunately, this Sunday had to head off to work, but you know what? Nick is here. I'm here, and it's gonna be uh, be the beard show. Nick, it's gonna be. We're gonna bring the beards. We're gonna bring the fun, and we're gonna answer some social media questions. It's the Nick and Dan show, the show that no one asked for, but's happening right now on nine fifty. The Slammer. <laughs> I don't know. It, it feels like it should be some level of radio talk show where we have ridiculous right. takes and terrible local sponsors as a part of our, you know, and we have our so Patreon questions brought to you by Jimmy's Auto Parts. Jimmy's, where you go when you need a crank. Yeah, it's uh, it's Parks and Rec. I know we're both fans. Uh, it's the uh, thoughts for your thoughts <laughs> with Derry Merbles. It's it's oh. that it's that show. Oh, that's uh, that's good. Well, anyway, yeah, we we're here. We have some social media questions that we're gonna roll through. Uh, obviously. We record these right after we record the match preview or match review. So uh, no new iTunes reviews, no new Patreon names. But uh, Nick, I know you always love to give a little shout out to our friends at Classic Football Shirts 
for the love that they've shown us during our live podcast and also kind of the lead up to the end of the year. That's right. Classic Football Shirts uh, was phenomenal. To uh, that, that whole experience was great to be a part of at their London shop. Uh, we had a great recording. You can go listen to those. Uh, the live pod episodes one and two uh, in your in your feed, so you can go click on those. Uh, you can also use our code London Pod for ten percent off on their on, on their website, which is classicfootballshirts.co.uk. Uh, we have a sneaky, you know, for those who who listen into the second episode every week, sneaky teaser um, that we may have another kit competition coming out. Um, you know, Classic Football Shirts has has given us a couple of of awesome kits. We we gave away a, uh, a signed Cesar Espiliqueta shirt right before the uh, Christmas holiday, and we're looking to come back and start the new year really strong. Uh, you may uh, see a number twenty five. Uh, you may see four letters on the back of that shirt. That's all I'm going to say about it. And uh, and we're really excited to get that one started. So watch this space, Dan, because it's uh, it's going it's going down uh, very quickly. Yeah, and uh, you know, I scream, you scream, we all scream for a gelato stand owner kit to be released, and that is what will probably be happening in the very near future. Yeah. All right. Well, now that the ad read is over, we're going to bring you some slicing and piping hot content here. And uh, first up is our Patreon questions. We've got Tom coming in, asking a lot about William kind of had a good match and, you know, someone surprising him that Calm hudson Adoy was a late substitution. But was it a little showing before selling to Byron or did Callum earn, earn it or was it due to Ruben's injury? Um, so, Nick, do you think the kind of the Callum situation, like was he deserving of getting in that match? Was it a little bit more of a way to drive up Hudson Joy's price before he kind of goes off to the Bundesliga second place team? You know, what, what's kind of how is it going to work there? I, I mean, I think he has earned it. Uh, I think he's, you know, it, if Sari thinks that he is now on the level of William and Pedro, that must mean to me that he's earned it in training. And certainly when we saw him play against Nottingham Forest, he provided two key assists to, to win that game. He's looked dangerous against Spurs uh, in the, in the midweek. And uh, I don't know. I just, I'm, I'm happy for him and, and his performance on the field. I know nothing of what's happening off the field. I don't know if Byron are, are making a serious approach or if they're tapping him up or if it's only because Ruben is, is hurt or if it's, you know, one of 50 other things, but I know for, for a fact that I'm super pumped for, Callum and the way that he's approached the games that he's played. And, and I think that's all we can really ask right now, Dan. Yeah. I mean, when you get the entirety of Sanford bridge outside of the away support singing that we want you to stay. And I saw a couple of people refer to it as being very arsenally, which, you know, I, I don't buy that for one minute. Like I think ultimately the fans see the level of talent that this young kid has, that he's been with, the youth academy since he was uh, knee high and wanting him to be successful and wanting him to succeed and getting that level of recognition from the supporters. You know, if that isn't going to sway you, if that isn't going to bring you into a desire of like wanting to stay. And obviously there's a lot of factors in play. There's the player, there's his representation, there's the clubs, there's the managers, there's other players. I mean, we've seen, Alonzo publicly talked on it. Rudiger's talked on it. Jordan Sancho's talked on it. There's just so much noise out there that I think, Nick, that we just need to kind of 
hit the pause button and say like this guy's going to make his own decision like he's going to sign a contract or not and that ultimately Chelsea will do the best thing in either scenario if he does sign the contract we'll find a way to integrate him appropriately because it seems like that is his biggest demand outside of you know uh, uh, wages be damned and that if he isn't going to sign it the club is going to do the best thing in terms of making sure they get the maximum for the deal that they secure the best arrangements possible and that they you know line up a replacement because there's no way we're going to run with just Pedro and William until the end of the season as our winger core with um, Hazard kind of being in that striker scenario. Yeah, Uh, no, that's right. I mean, we are not at a point of the season where we can just lose players. (laughs) Like losing Fabregas without an immediate replacement, kind of risky. Losing Calvin Adoy without an immediate replacement, kind of risky. Losing Cahill, losing Zappacosta even, losing Moses, uh, you know, any drink water even. Like when you lose squad depth and you don't replace that, it just, it, it is a bad scenario because you're putting yourself in, uh, at risk if another one of your starting players gets hurt that you're going to have to fill that in genuinely then with someone from the academy. And, you know, I know that, a lot of Chelsea fans want to see that, but if you want to keep winning uh, at, and playing at the you know elite level, um, that's typically not the uh, not the way to go. So yeah, I mean, we we think about it this way, you know, in January and February, you know, we're we're playing a match essentially. You know, it's not as bad as it was in December when we were playing a match just over you know three days per match. It's up to now four and a quarter days per match. Um, but, I mean, we've got Arsenal, we've got Tottenham, you know, we have an FA Cup match, which is always going to be a little bit of a, a tricky bit of business. We've got our two Europa League matches. We got a Spurs match, a, a league match, and then we also have uh, our Europa League matches. And, you know, none of those will be a walk in the park. So to shed players without an appropriate replacement which is, I think, what the club would also line up to do. You know, we're not seeing a ton of winger links outside of the Malcolms for cash, potentially for William. But again, that's not adding replacements. That's just, you know, keeping us at the same level that we're at currently, which is not the right solution. Like, it's about addition, not subtraction at this moment. Correct. All right, so we've got another question here from our friend Hamid. So saying strong game from Pedro and William, what would be the ideal rotation for Hudson Adoy? And realistically, how many Premier League games do you want to see from him playing significant minutes for the rest of the season? Glad we put some distance between Arsenal and Man United. So, Nick, I think actually what we saw in this last match is probably where like that level of getting somewhere between 15 to 20 to 30 minutes a match is probably where I would be super comfortable with what his level of progression would be this season with that terms of minutes i think the occasional start is not a bad thing against some of the you know what we declare like bottom half uh teams and i don't know do you agree disagree do you want to see more do you want to see less yeah like i i don't think you know especially given that william and pedro scored the goals yesterday i I don't think he'll be a regular premier league starter um for a little while and and that's okay you know i think as long as he is getting consistent you know he's he's kind of one of the first options off the bench or you know depending on the scenario he gets the occasional start um against maybe a a lower you know part of the league opposition and then plays in cup matches um and and maybe some europa league matches then i think that's a really good way to mix him in and get him enough experience while also um you know making sure that uh william and pedro are are keeping up their end of the bargain too i mean 
it is, you know, I think when we when we all looked at the beginning of the season, we were thinking about goal output from, you know, kind of our front, you know, four options. You know, I don't think we, we put a lot of emphasis on Callum Hudson-Odoi having to score a bunch of goals. We did put it on William and Pedro uh, because they're way more experienced than, of course, Eden Hazard. So um, from a winger perspective, I think, you know, as as the more senior players, William and Pedro have to do their job and pick up the slack um, for from a goal uh, output. But yeah, I, I agree with your stance. You know, if he's getting 20, 30 minutes, um, you know, maybe every other Premier League match, and then he he gets a really good amount of experience in in our uh, in our cup competitions, then then uh, I don't know how much more he could realistically expect. Um, but that's just my take. So let's look at it this way. So we have Arsenal coming up, which will kind of do a little bit more of a longer match preview at the tail end of this episode. We've got the cup game against Tottenham coming up. We have the FA Cup match uh, against a yet-to-be-I-think-determined side. And then we have uh, Bournemouth coming up at the end of the month. So if we have four potential starts for him, like what would your projection be for the number of starts we'll see from him between now and the end of the month? Uh, I think he will start against Tottenham uh, in, in leg two of the Football League Cup. Um, I think, you know, potentially he'll start, you know, I think the FA Cup would be a really good shout uh, as well for, for him to see significant minutes. You know, it just sucks that those are kind of back-to-back. Um, so maybe you'll only see him start one of those matches and and it might be the FA Cup match. Um you 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 may see him play some decent minutes against Bournemouth. Um, you know, I I wouldn't expect a, a ton of him against Arsenal, but I could be wrong there, especially after a full week of rest for for the front three. Uh, but then you might you might see him play against Huddersfield. You might see him play a decent amount against Bournemouth. You know, I like I, I think there are minutes in there for him between Tottenham FA Cup match TBD still. Uh, Bournemouth and Huddersfield. I think those were all four really good matches to see, you know, maybe a start and some significant bench minutes. So that's not bad. I mean, especially as you're looking kind of towards the end of the window and, and I don't know if the, the heat from Bayern tapping him up is, is still there, but, uh, if, if you're an 18 year old player who's, who's continuing to prove it in training to get those opportunities is huge. Yeah. I would say two starts out of those four is probably where I would, target or believe for him to find the opportunities. I actually think him starting against Arsenal versus, you know, what he did in the, um, the, the preseason or the beginning part of the year probably could do some business against their very shoddy, um, house of cards defense. And yeah, I mean the FA cup game or allowing him to continue and say, look, you had a really strong performance against the Tottenham team that we went up against in the, you know, league cup continue forward on your your mission um would be kind of a cool little uh anointment by sorry to do that but well, you know and, th- and that's why i don't think he'll start against arsenal yeah uh, I, I think you know first of all that's a big moment it's at the emirates it's not as if it, it was it was at home if i could talk uh but i think starting against tottenham especially given the way that he played and he, i think for 70 minutes he was the best player on the pitch honestly i thought he was very very good um then, then you give him that opportunity to shine at home, uh, and and let the home fans kind of give him that extra boost, and that's that's a really good shout, especially in a League Cup semifinal. It's not as if that match is meaningless. You know, those are those are going to be meaningful minutes, and then you know we'll see if he can, 
you know, get some strong minutes in the league. That's not bad. Not bad at all. But we want to hear your thoughts. How many starts do you think Callum hudson Adoy will have between now and the end of January? There's four matches. So uh, if you say five, that is a absolutely incorrect mathematical possibility. Uh, if you say negative uh, one, that is also mathematically incorrect. So I'd uh, love to hear your thoughts and kind of understand if you agree with Nick and I. I think it's going to be two. will be three. will be one. Um, and how many minutes do you think that he'll kind of hit between now and the end of the month? So we also had a question from our friend Derek asking, Chelsea's over 30 policy. What What is the policy? What's its history? Perceived pros and cons, and maybe have each of you take an up-and-down stance on retaining it. Uh, Nick, you wax poetic about Dava Luis and his through-ball magic on the first episode of the week, so I'm going to guess you are probably anti-30 policy over policy it's it's not a bad theory in principle right so if you've ever read soccernomics uh there you know much like there is in the nfl or the nba or any other league once a player kind of hits 30 uh you know you start to see in a lot of cases not all cases obviously john terry played well into his 30s or paolo maldini played you know almost till he's 40 you know like he like there are cases that are outliers but you typically see a significant athletic drop off, um, you know, 31, 32, 33, than you did at 27, 28. So I think there is the, the, the principle of this is the, is the club is guarding against giving a long term deal to a player that may not have the same outputs as, um, you know, they, they once did. So the, the theory is that you give them a one year deal and you continually make them prove that they are at that level. Uh, on one-year deals. Now, the problem with that from an economic standpoint is at some point, you know, your John Terry's or your David Louise's or your Cahill's or whoever um, have a really important decision to make. Do I take, you know, the one-year deal at, you know, I, I would guess are pretty good wages for a player of that caliber uh, and, and continue to prove it and prove it and prove it? Or uh, do I go take a longer-term deal you know, for a club that doesn't have this policy somewhere else. And I think that's kind of where it, it aids. It's it's kind of a, a double-edged sword in both, you know, retention and recruitment. Um, retention, obviously, being that we need to keep some of our best players. And, you know, for us to give Gary Cahill a, you know, a, a big deal on his, you know, as he's approaching 30, I think he was like 29 in, in a few odd months. Uh, I think that's hilarious because – the difference between 29 and eight months and 30 is zero essentially. Um, but you have to do that or, you know, in, in player recruitment, as we look at, you know, the Gonzalo Higuain's of the world or the Edson Cavani's of the world or any of the, uh, the players that we uh, have looked at in the, in the past four years that are over 30, it, it's hard, I think, for the club to justify investing a lot in, in that type of player, even though they, they could be a really great fit in the in the in the now. So that's just kind of my thoughts on it. Um, I I am I, I think from an, uh, an economic standpoint, I think it's a smart policy, but it doesn't always give you the results in real time that you want. I guess if that makes sense, Dan. Yeah. You know, I think ultimately, if if we say that it's a cement policy, right, that it is kind of fully set over and that there's no ability to be fluid with that policy for rare extensions based upon uh, service, need, availability within the market, 
Um, because ultimately, like, there, there's not always a good replacement available for the player that we're trying to bring in. And even though that we've seen Christensen have a good couple run of games here to get David Luiz for maybe two years at this point, if that's kind of the challenge that he's saying, well, I, I can go play somewhere for three years on this salary, but I would go take a two-year deal to stay at Chelsea, and that would then allow me to, you know, um, transition out appropriately and then give someone the ability to transition in underneath me as a level understudy. You know, that that would be fantastic, but if, if the club isn't going to do it for John Terry, like, they're probably not going to do it for anyone else, and I think they're... There's a danger in the fact that if your policy is so rigid that you're going to end up spending more to go get a replacement, which maybe is not as good or not up to the same level as the player you're going to lose out on. And I get what you're saying for the one year or maybe two years, and there may be some level of player degradation that you're trying to prevent yourself against. Um, but it, to me, it's it's too rigid to allow for the best type of things to happen, which is taking advantage of these really, really talented players who have hit a certain age point where they could still contribute. You know, we, we saw Draba contribute at a very high level um, in his plus 30 range. And again, he's an exception to the norm. But I just, to me, it's it's too rigid and doesn't have some level of caveat element to it other than the, well, we'll sign them like Drew on a six month deal. And then we'll give them an automatic 12 month option. Like that's kind of our one way that we've worked around it. it. It, which seems to be when we bring players in, but there's no real plan for when a player is already with the team who is over 30 and what the solution is for that type of player. Unless we sign them on 29 years and 364 days, uh, into right. their, their next year, which is just an absolutely like ludicrous way of, you know, kind of drawing the line in the sand as the birthday rather than maybe taking some more algorithmic approach to where they are, what type of player, you know, what type of need would we need to fill, what type of options we have that back up that kind of player. Because, you know, I think you look at what someone like David Luiz brings to the table in terms of the the leadership responsibility. And we, we you know, we're about to lose the last type of connection that this team has to the Champions League winning side and that that Taminic is like the the scariest type of reality where like you know that that type of DNA like has not been replaced in this side. And when we talk about mentality, like to lose you know David over some level of like additional twelve months to lose John Terry over some you know age related contract stings in my mind because I I don't I don't agree with it. Like I I get it and I understand it, but as a as a supporter, I am not a fan of this particular stance yeah like i think there just have to be special exemptions made right like your john terry should be a special exemption your didier drogba should be a special exemption your lampard should be a special exemption like you can go on and on and on if the club right now needs Iguain to finish top four and he's 31 years old and he can come in and score 15 goals in the final part of the season the club would be in my mind uh harming themselves by not getting him here, right? Like finishing top four, getting back in the Champions League, getting that that parachute payment up again into that uh, elite football competition and keeping, I think, the squad, Maurizio Sarri, everybody happy, the fans happy, 
uh, is a big responsibility. I don't I don't short sight that from the club at all. Um, but if if that policy is keeping him from coming, then you need to reevaluate the policy. There are you know I think we all want Mauro Icardi to come to Chelsea. It, it's just not going to happen. <laughs> okay, like there are plenty of factors that a 25-year-old striker in, in the prime of his career aren't going to move in January. So I think you have to, there, there has to be a little bit, you know, you can have the policy and the policy can remain strong for, for most players in the world, but there has to be special exemptions made for, you know, the the one-off like your Iguain or Cavani or whoever the hell you want to go get. So um, I, I think that's I think that's a, a good thing, and I'm glad we solved this problem, Dan. That's that's what we're here to do. Yeah, absolutely. We'll just uh, take that. We'll CC it over to Marina and uh, Bruce. Get them to sign off on it. And <laughs> what are your What are your thoughts on this, guys? Here's a crazy <laughs> scenario. Oh uh, yeah, I'm sure they're listening right now with uh, bated <laughs> breath on the. Uh... Can't wait. Uh, all an- right. It's, a, it's another Marina gets another email from the London is Blue podcast in her in her inbox. Like, ah, oh, here we go again. Jesus. These, these guys with their ideas and their thoughts. It's, it's a regular idea it's factory here. Yeah, that's what happens when Brandon leaves us alone for uh, for an hour. Yeah, just uh, all the ideas yeah. start spitballing. You know, we just come up with the crazy solutions. We're gonna end, end world hunger by the end of this episode. We're gonna do it. Um, Devin also from Patreon asking from Newcastle thoughts: When are people gonna re- realize that Jorginho is unbelievably overrated? Two thousand passes without an assist in twenty matches. Come on. So, uh, Nick, I know that you uh, are a Jorginho hater, that you are absolutely on board oh, yeah. with Devin's thoughts here, and, you know, just really want to take a moment to uh, to bury him, you know? No, like, look, I, I think this is a knee-jerk reaction. Like, there, there are narratives that are crafted about players throughout the season. Um, this is a, It's a rough patch for Jorginho, admittedly. I think he hasn't played up to his best. I think, uh, you know, much like a a relief pitcher who comes on and and throws submarine style for you know the first like 40 batters he faces and strikes out everyone the baseball adapts to that pitcher and he eventually gets you know homered off of i think Jorginho is very much in the same in the same vein uh he started off with a plum and certainly has not uh, produced the same level of impact uh from a, a passing standpoint in my mind for about a month and a half and that is a problem certainly for the for the team and the way they move the ball but I, incredibly overrated uh, you know I don't know that seems like a bit of a, a knee-jerk there I mean we also remember the you know five or so games in November when David Luiz was the worst defender we've ever seen and you know blah 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 all these narratives are are very knee-jerk and, you know David Luiz comes out yesterday and has a really good game and uh, now everyone loves him again so all, all it'll take is Jorginho kind of getting back on the horse, I think, uh, assisting, you know, making crucial passes, if not assists, I think is is going to be a good thing. But uh, this is also ultimately, Dan, to me, a sorry thing. If Jorginho is not functioning in the same way or at the same level that he's used to, especially in the Italian league, then he needs to make the adjustment. And that that is not... To me, up to Jorginho to make for himself. I think it's up for Sorry to make uh, from a tactic standpoint. And if he doesn't, then I do feel bad that he, you know, Jorginho has played. I think the most minutes this year. Uh, that's that's rough. So uh, you know, for for those listening at home, and uh, no no cheating and pulling up Wikipedia. So uh, Nick, I'm going to hit you up, and you can be the uh, audience surrogate in this moment. 
So what's what's the maximum number of assists that Jorginho has recorded for a season under Sarri at Napoli? Three. Uh, you're close. It's uh, well, I mean, in in, in the actual like Serie A matches, the most he's recorded in a season over playing 35 games, uh, which is the most in any given like season in um, was four. So he, he's not wow. he's not meant okay. to assist at a heavy rate in this system. Because you imagine if we're doing short passes, and again, you know, I think vertical tiki taka is probably the best way to talk about like what sorry ball is from a like structural standpoint. Like the ball is going to go to someone else, and then that person is going to assist. Like he's Conte Barkley, yeah, Kovacic. Yeah, it, it's right? someone else who is going to be the assister of the goal, and it's not going to be Jorginho. Jorginho is the person who is the is going to see where the ball needs to go, and it's two or three steps ahead of him. And he's going to help make that happen. He's going to place the string on the ground so that others can go and follow it. He's not going to be the person that is assisting. So I think if there's some lofty expectation that he's going to be a double-digit assister in the way that Sesk was, like the long balls over the top are not necessarily like a part of the game that like Sari wants from him. And again, like I think you made a really good point about, you know, is it sorry that needs to change what he's asking of him it, because of how the game is a little different from you know Italy to England? Is it a matter of Jorginho not doing what he needs to do? I, I think Jorginho is doing what he's supposed to be doing under this system, and I think it's understanding you know the players ahead of him also have to be better in their handling of the ball. Um, you know, Kovacic is not a natural uh, assister of many goals. Um, you know, neither is N'Golo Kante. Uh, he'll score one occasionally now, which is very exciting. So, I mean, you're really looking at, you know, William, Pedro, and Hazard being kind of the three focal point elements of the attack. Um, and again, when they're not working uh, up to their level, that's what's scary. But I think if we're expecting Jorginho to have more than four assists, it, it, I mean, that that seems like it's an unrealistic kind of situation. So I, I don't know if I necessarily buy the narrative that just because he has 2,000 passes doesn't mean he hasn't found a way to impact the game. Yeah. No, I think, again, we've cracked the code. Uh, on to the next one. All right. Uh, so we one uh, last Patreon comment here. It's from our friend Brett, and it was more just a uh, statement. So he said, uh, you know, uh, actually, and, and credit to him, because now there's, uh, I think, CIA should be publishing it soon, but there's an official uh, supporters group in Sacramento that I know Brett's been uh, working on putting together. So credit to him. Um, have to make my way out there uh, one of these uh, upcoming weeks. But uh, he talked about the mentality issue we talk, talked about in the last episode. Doesn't matter um, which manager, it always seems to happen. He did research, and we have 44 one goal win games in the past 3.5 years, according to. Uh, Accordingly, City have 35, which suggests that they're killing off games better, that this could be the difference. Do you think from Brett's initial research that there's a, a narrative to go into there, Nicholas? So we have more one-goal wins, and they have less, and they are killing the games off better? Correct. Okay. Um, maybe maybe that's maybe I'm reading this wrong, but wouldn't that suggest that we are killing games? Well, like, I guess if, if he's suggesting that our, our margin of, of victory is... We have we have more one goal wins than I, I I guess they're scoring the extra goal to kind of put it out of reach. Yeah, Maybe correct. that's what he's saying. Okay. So I was reading that wrong. So that's my fault. Um yeah, I, I think they that's pretty obvious then that they have been. Um you know, I think there is something to be said for, you know, closing out 
you know, and, and having a one a one goal win. I mean, I think that's that's a kind of show some steel and some mentality there. But uh, yeah, City do a really great job of of putting their foot on the gas and beating teams, you know, essentially before they can really make a comeback. And it seems like Chelsea in this scenario, you know, go up one nil, cruising yesterday until about the twenty fifth minute, and then completely just kind of let Newcastle come on to uh, them and, and let them play for a little while and, and results in a set-piece goal. So uh, I, I take Brett's point, and I think the, the stats then back that up. Yeah, uh, I don't think there's much more to be said about that. Uh, there's definitely an opportunity for us to find the, the winning goal with a little bit more of a cushion, you know? Uh, we'd like we'd like more cushion. We don't want the uh, the flat seats, the flat hard seats without them. Um, moving along, though, we have a couple other questions. Uh, we have one uh, from Instagram talking about uh, Lonzo from Edge G. Uh, first time in a long time. Uh, it's clear we have trouble defending the left. I counted three or four attacks again on the left side. If teams keep pounding long balls on Zoe and Willie, how long can we expect these two players who've had trouble on the defensive end to keep their heads in the game? My question is what on earth will it take for Alonzo to lose his job? Uh, so this was an argument that I had with, uh, Alex Goldberg on Twitter yesterday, which is always the most productive way to have arguments. Good job. But, Good job, Nick. Uh, you know, I, I certainly fed into that, into that beast. Uh, you know, I, I think for Alonzo to lose his job, Someone has to come take it from him, and there have you know there we haven't seen anybody uh, since he started playing as a wing back for Chelsea two and a half years ago, and no one's come and took it from him. Uh, so clearly, to me, again, we don't see training, but if you're if you're thinking that football is a meritocracy, uh, he's probably playing better in training, performing better in training, and then gets the opportunity to start because that's just the way that football works. Uh, so, you know, I think I think there are significant questions and areas that, you know, we, we can all see that he, he needs to improve on. But, you know, for, for those Emerson fanboys out there, uh, uh, I know Dan is one of them, loves <laughs> Emerson. Uh, <laughs> Emerson has to come take the job from him. I, I don't know what else to tell you. Like, it, it just, that's just the way that life works. So here's the thing. I... In like the crazy land of where FIFA or football manager tactics could kind of come to fruition and you could make the change happen. Uh, ideally, I don't even think it's Emerson who's the right person to take his job. Um, if you're really looking to say, you know, someone should take Alonzo's job and and put him on the bench. I actually think it's a little crazier than that, Nick. And stay with me. Okay. I think you would move Aspilaqueta out to the left bench Alonzo that way and bring back the most effective crosser of the ball, a three or four time player of the month on his side in the championship, Reese James and place him on the right hand side. Uh, if you really wanted to find a way, because then you still maintain the attacking benefit of having one of your fullbacks, you know, and I'm sorry, you know, it was this way where he had, would have one who kind of pushed a little bit more forward, farther forward, who is more kind of in that attacking vein, and then one who is a little bit more defensively minded. Gives Aspilicueta the benefit of if we get a striker and then Hazard's on the left, still a little bit more freedom to be less responsible kind of for the defensive phase of the game. And then on the right-hand side, you now have, you know, let's just say it's Pedro in this instance, and you have Conte. 
uh, and Reese James. Now you're going to have some really good interchange of the ball, some really good fluidity. And, uh, you know, if it's Higuain, Higuain gets to feast off of some uh, some Reese James crosses, and uh, I don't think he'd be disappointed in how they taste. All right. Well, I've, again, I think we've solved it. Um, <laughs> no, I, I think Reese James has been outstanding. There, there are multiple stats out there that will tell you that he is uh, – I think has uh, successfully beaten the uh, championship boss. If you're thinking about Mario, uh, I think he's I think he's ready for for the big show. And uh, you know, when, when you think about this youth talent that's coming through with Reese James and Cal Pusinadoy, and you know, you, you still look at Ruben, you still look at Mason Mount, you you know, are kind of identifying all these areas where Chelsea could lose the Cesc Fabregas at a Mason Mount, you know. Loses Apicosta at a restreams. You know those are those are really exciting prospects, and you just hope that you know in, in whatever magic happens to decide to when to bring up a, a, a you know a youth team prospect and make them a first team type of player that that begins to uh, take place because uh, those four in particular are exceptional. Yeah, I, I will say to me, it's less of beating the boss and it's more of finding the warp whistle and advancing forward a couple of uh, levels. No, no one knows what you're talking about. No, nah, Super like, Mario that, Three, man. That's... People, people understand that. People play classic video games. It's, it's okay. All right. Well, you guys let us know if you understand what the warp whistle is. Well, okay. Um, clearly, Nick was a very sheltered child. That's right. And we've touched on a very bit of a moment here uh so we're gonna turn into a dr phil special uh since brandon isn't here and just try to really unpack this nick we're really gonna try to understand where the source of this anger and frustration comes from um i just need to know (laughs) where your anger is coming from you know it's just because the lineup isn't the way i want it to be um (laughs) and so but you know kind of to cap on this i i do think if the club is also looking to send a message to someone like a calum hudson adoy that they see what the impact of some of these great youth players is ca- are capable of doing and being to move someone out like uh, Davide Zapacosta and you know Lazio is the the team that he's connected with pretty heavily right now and I think it's more of a is there a forced option to buy versus a option to buy because I think Chelsea would like to move on from the Zapacosta experience um then if they bring someone like Reese in so now you have another Chelsea kind of academy progeny with Ruben Loftus-Cheek, with Callum Hudson-Odoi on this side now, and you're starting to see get opportunity in minutes. I think that would do more than some of the you know, lip service in the, uh, in the media that we're kind of given right now about how important he is. To see that structurally change would, I think, kind of give the right level of confidence that you know, signing a long-term contract isn't, you know, isn't going to result in him now then being kind of sat back on the bench and then putting, you know, being put into like cryostasis waiting for the next opportunity uh, when he has some leverage. I mean, this is, again, Callum should be doing everything he should do to the benefit of himself to get the, himself in the best situation, and hopefully that is with Chelsea. But if it's not, that's okay. All right. Strikers, Nick, we have a problem. We got a lot of questions really? about strikers. We do. Um, That's crazy. We've got one from uh, Sang Soon Lim. We got uh, Dexter. We got Brad all on Facebook. We got CNG eighty eight. Uh, Beal Gabriel uh, on the on the trip with us. Good shout out there. Uh, and then Quillian SB all asking about kind of the striker situation. What's going on? Uh, the effectiveness or lack thereof of Hazard in the false nine and. Like, who do we want to see come in? 
And uh, I think, you you know, there's probably a short-term and long-term answer to that. I think, you know, in my mind, Higuain is a short-term answer, is probably a really positive solution because he's going to require zero time to get set up and under how sorry he's going to want to play. Uh, and he also loves to score against Tottenham, which is really exceptional. Yep. So I think those are two positive check marks there. But do you see any other short-term solution, Nick, or are you kind of looking at like what the long-term solution is kind of from summer forward? Yeah, I mean, in addition to Pulisic and, and some of the midfielders that we've been targeting, I think this the striker's conundrum has to be figured out. It's clear that Murata is not favored. It's clear that maybe, at least it seems like he'll, he'll go out on loan at some point if we can uh, maybe secure Iguain, uh in this window. So whether we get Iguain on six months or, or like you said earlier with Giroud with that six month w- with an option to extend for a year is unclear, but I think that is the best short-term solution, even though he's 31 years old. And I know people are just super upset about how people age. Apparently um, he, he is probably our, our best chance uh, to, to secure a striker of his caliber. Uh, you know, the Cavani thing was hilarious when that got brought up. I mean, we've been linked to every striker from Cal Wilson to Edison Cavani this window. My guess is that it's Iguain. Moving forward, we have to figure out something. Is it Timo Werner? Is it uh, Icardi? Is it, you know, a handful of other Piatek? Is it, you know, whoever it is? It just has to be, it has to be understood. It has to um, get solved for as soon as humanly possible because uh, this system it, it does not flow correctly without a, a functioning number nine. And I know that Giroud is going to be out of contract after this year. To, so we have to figure out if he's going to be a, a serviceable backup or not. Like there's a lot to figure out with our, our forwards, but I don't think long-term that Eden Hazard playing as the number nine is the uh, scalable solution. No. And I think it, it, forces him to not take advantage of the best skills that he have, which you know has, which is like the ability to take on, the ability to dribble past, the ability to make a, a deeper line run and kind of bring the ball forward as he just moves through three or four attackers or kind of cocklins them around for, for some level of capacity. So the striker thing to me, you know, I, I'm very much on the Warner train. I think he would be a great option. He's out of contract uh, relatively soon. Leipzig have indicated that they do not want to lose out on the value of him, so they would be very much open to selling. Um, you know, Luka Jovic, who's at Frankfurt right now on loan, uh, they have an option to buy him. You know, he's a little bit of a, a risky one. Same with like Maxi Gomez. Um, Acardi is probably the best, like guaranteed. They will be a solid striker uh, in any type of system. They know how to score goals, and they just that that's their job, and they do it. I mean, the, the challenge is, is there so many sides need a quality striker right now. So the the market is contracting, right? Because you don't have the, the demand is higher than the supply of people that can plug and play in this situation. So you're going to need to spend a lot for them, which is where if you can take advantage of our amazingly talented youth academy and someone like Calum Hudson-Odoi stays uh, versus having to go to sign out like a Lozano, right? Like if we have to go spend 40 million pounds for Lozano because we sold Calmonts and Adoy, so now it's like 10 million more, but we still have to sell a player and we're not adding squad depth. Um, you then don't have the 100 million pounds that you need to go release a Cardi from his contract and bring him to Sanford Bridge. Um, it, it's, it's not a great situation. 
it really, really sucks. Uh, I don't think Tammy Abraham is the long-term solution either, Nick. So finding someone, anyone at this point is going to be better than having someone who uh, doesn't want to be here. Um, and then maybe someone who is, you know, going to be the right level of speed, pace, uh, technical ability, and then also kind of goal conversion that we need to take advantage of all these chances that we just have uh, have squandered so far this season. You know, as long as as long as Bayern are tapping up, uh, tapping up our our young Callum Hudson Odoi, we should begin tapping up Robert Lewandowski. Why not? You know, let's let's really kind of fight fire with fire. He's he's looking fit these days. You know, why why not just go grab that nearly thirty year old and give him a eight year deal? You know, I think that's that's certainly the best economics that I could think of. So thumbs up. There. Sounds like you understand business. We've solved it again, Dan. We've just we're rolling on this today, baby. We're feeling good. Let's go. Yeah, I I would be interested to hear just you know again as we you know shout out to to the listenership. But, you know, who, who who are you looking for? You know, obviously, if we're saying what's your, your short-term answer, what's your long-term answer, uh, obviously, Callum Wilson is, you know, linked pretty heavily. Um, it's another individual who's been kind of frequently connected to Chelsea, would be very expensive being a homegrown player, uh, and also, you know, injury-prone, has come back from those injuries and has scored plenty, but would be a question mark, too, is, like, is he of the caliber of player that we need? So what's your thoughts? Who's the striker you're looking at us to get? And, you know, is it a short-term or long-term solution? So last question to kind of round off here on some of our social commentary. So uh, Stu Logan 22 Instagram hit us up, Nick, and said, probably isn't an answer to this question yet. Wrong. We're going to give you one. Uh, but hey, here it goes. What is the most important win of the season so far? The most important win of the season? Yeah. This is... This is not the best win of the season, but the most important win of the season? Yeah. I would say beating Arsenal, uh, second match of the year, probably our, our most important win of the season. Um I I think, you know, we, we you know, if you if you rewind your brain all the way back to the beginning of the year when we didn't know if the season was gonna be a slow start or a fast start, ended up being an extraordinarily fast start. Um, that was a crucial moment. You know, you you have to Think back, and they they leveled after we had a really brilliant kind of opening uh, salvo, and you know we it was on a knife's edge, and then we and then we got the winner uh, through Marcus Alonso. Uh, it was a it really kind of I think lifted the mood around the the squad. There's a lot of excitement, and you know beating Arsenal is just the best. So I, I really hope we do it again on Saturday. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a uh, a good shout there. Um... You know, I don't think I can look past the victory versus Man City. I mean, I think, yep. you know, again, it's at home. You would expect to challenge or make those games difficult at home. But, you know, winning that match 2 to nothing against a side that at the beginning of the season, people were wondering if they were going to do uh, two, two wins in a row, you know, two league wins in a row, um, you know, two title league wins in a row. And to take the Centurions down and make life difficult and to do it on the back of an N'Golo Conte and Dava Luiz goal is uh, quite exceptional. So, you know, I think that was, it showed the possibility of us being able to win in a different way. And I think right now, like as we're looking to win, as we're looking to convert our chances, again, that was a... We only had five shots on target that game and eight shots in total. And Man City almost doubled those, 14 total shots. Uh, they had f- uh, four on target that game. We played with 
almost no possession relative to what we typically have. We had the ball for less than 40% of the match and we still found a way to win. Um, so I think showing that we have some level of flexibility, for, you know, sorry has some way of making a game winnable by a different route is helpful. I don't think he's always going to do it, but to see that he has some level of flexibility, I think was important for, you know, our fan base to see that, you know, it's not going to be just all possession all the time. We are going to go up against sides. We're going to challenge us in that capacity and how we respond to that level of adversity uh, is important. So to me, it's the Man City win, uh, but I see where you're coming from with the Arsenal victory. And I think that that's a, a really, really great shout too, because obviously if we had lost to Arsenal right away, um, especially with the track record that Antonio Conte had against Arsenal, um, probably would not have been a great start to his Chelsea career. Right. Yeah. So, I mean, we, we'd love if, if you could tweet at us at London Blue Pod or Instagram us. We'd love to know what your your answers are on this. But I think those are two pretty good shouts. Yeah. Again, nailed it. We, we're just killing it. We're killing it this whole week. Yeah. Mike's not feeling well. We're sorry about that. Brandon's working. We're also sorry about that because it's Sunday and, uh, you know. Look, we're playing hurt, Dan. We're we're both sick, you know. Like, but it's it's about showing up, you know. And I think I think we've done the, that the best today. ability the, is availability, as you tend to say, Nicholas. And uh, I've I've said that once or uh, twice. Yeah, correct. Uh, yes. If we if we had a bingo board, uh, I feel like yours would have that <laughs> quote, and then also meritocracy yep. would pop up pretty heavily for you. <laughs> yep. Yep. It, it sure would. Yep. Uh, all right. So let's move along real quick here. And before we go, we obviously. You know, Ending talking on Arsenal here. But uh, yeah, match preview. Arsenal, Premier League, next game. No midweek match. So no having to force Thank God. a meeting oh. on the calendar that didn't exist. No having to come up with a doctor's note for a appointment that you never actually went to. Um, you know, obviously, this is going to be a very crucial match, especially depending upon the result of the Spurs and United game where we can really kind of find ourselves potentially moving up into that uh, that third position and further solidifying our hold on a top four spot. Yeah, I think this is huge. I mean, obviously, Arsenal lost to West Ham uh, on, on Saturday. Beautiful goal, too. Beautiful goal from uh, yep. former uh, Chelsea Academy individual Declan Rice. So uh, former yep. Blue doing the work. Correct. Uh, and so you're now six points clear of Arsenal. You know, you've... If you, if you play this out and Chelsea is able to win at the Emirates, which we have not done uh, for a little while, uh, which is sad and terrifying, and I hate that uh, a lot, almost as much as I hate losing the Spurs three times in a row. I mean, these are all things that are terrible, and I, I hate them. Uh, then we would potentially be nine points clear of Arsenal, um, which is is not nothing. I mean, it's certainly not a, a death nail in their coffin in, in terms of the top four race, but it would be a significant gap to be on 50 points while they're on 41 points. Um, and, you know, you just never know how the rest of the league is going to fall. So uh, this is a, in my mind, for Chelsea and, and their top four aspirations, this would be a really nice one to have. I don't think it's a must win, uh, but it certainly would be uh, a feather in the cap to play Arsenal twice in a season, Dan, and beat them twice in a season and make sure that we're basically doing everything we can amid a crazy end of January fixture pileup uh, to position ourselves in the league to uh, to do the business. Yeah, I mean, again, you know, there, there's a lot of results that have not gone our way appropriately this season. And, you know, one or two of these draws that should have been wins or one or two of these losses that 
you know, also should have been a win or at least a draw. Uh, Chelsea could be very much within the uh, the title conversation because we are you know only ten points behind Liverpool. Um, which when you say 10, it seems like it's a lot, but it's not actually when you kind of look at it at the end of it all. You know, we're three points behind Manchester City at the moment. They do have to play Wolves on Monday. So, you know, bending the result of that, which Wolves have forced them to a draw earlier in the season. So very likely a possibility where they could be, we could win against Arsenal and be potentially only one point behind City with them potentially having a game in hand. Uh, That is also exceptional. And yeah, I, I mean... I, I kind of view it a little bit more as a must win. I think that this is the time to start putting distance away um, versus kind of being in the situation where, you know, we're kind of having to play catch up or looking over our shoulder or looking at other teams to get the results that we need for us. I would much rather that we get you to be the controllers of our own destiny and say, you know what, if we win this, like we are making top four that much easier for ourselves at the end of the season because you know Spurs have not shown an you know inability to score. They are scoring for fun. United look so much better post Mourinho, which is not a surprise. And Man City and Liverpool are kind of the locks, right? You know, so if you know that you only have two spots on the table you're fighting for, a third or a fourth, um, or potentially flopping into a second, depending on what goes on. That is a scary scenario when there's two potential spots and three to four teams that are competing for them in the you know the most exciting league in the world. So I don't know about you, but to me, it's a must win, and I think it's all going to come down to the fact of like, can we continue to find ways to score you know without a striker? Because I don't know if a Higuain would be there and be ready and be registered by the time this game comes up at the end of the weekend. Right, yeah, it certainly doesn't look that way. So uh, it would be it would be excellent to uh, to get these points. It, it's always excellent to beat Arsenal. There, I think they're my my favorite team to beat. Is it, um, is it because of Arsenal fan TV? Do you just go enjoy no. the uh, the tears afterwards? No, no, I don't know if anyone watches that anymore. Like honestly, it kind of feels like old news to me. I just I love the elitism of Arsenal Football Club having invented football and for. Chelsea for all these years to have essentially played the uh, perennial role of of just master uh, in that scenario. So um, we've certainly sh- had our share of good times recently uh, against them, and certainly want to keep that going. So uh, let's do that. Yeah, I mean, I think the the biggest thing that continues to be the Achilles heel for Arsenal is they have very much scored above their expected goal total thanks to Aubameyang just going on an absolute uh, tear, as it were, is that their defense has been rather suspect through the entirety of the season so far, Nick. And I think that's where, if we are going to do the business in this type of match, it's going to be the do down, down to the fact that Arsenal and Emery have not really found a solution to protecting uh, Leno or whoever they put between the six in the match um, from just kind of a barrage of shots and shots that end up getting converted. Yeah. And I think, you know, conversely, you know, I think when we, when we played them in the, uh, in the reverse fixture earlier this season, uh, our midfield was, um, you know, while, while they, our midfield struggled defensively, I think uh, controlled the game from a tempo standpoint and from a, just kind of overall swarming point. And if you think back then, N'Golo Kante wasn't nearly the 
insane offensive player that he is now. So uh, I think this could be a, a a mismatch in terms of the midfield. You know, Granite Jacques is also due for a red card sometime soon. So let's have that be against us. Yeah, yeah, probably for hacking down and uh, Hazard at some point in some capacity. It's probably uh, probably not a bad bet. I mean, we don't we don't advertise betting or gambling on this show because we are god awful at it and probably the last people you'd want to take advice from. Just terrible. Yeah, it's not. Good. Yeah, go go take it from Marco Gate Seventeen. Marco, he's he's the the legend. Yeah, but he's also getting the inside scoop from Bobby Tambling. So I feel like former players probably have a good. Uh, <laughs> A better grasp on it than we do in some capacity. But again, we'd love to hear your thoughts. Do you think we're going to smash Arsenal? Uh, At this point, Marcus Rashford has just scored to put Manchester United ahead of Tottenham. So we will uh, depart on that note, uh, unless you have another final thought you'd like to share, Nick. Uh, I would not. Uh, Let's let's make sure that we... uh... We do the business against Arsenal. That's all we can control. We can't control any of these other results. All right. Well, no midweek match, so enjoy yourself. Friends, have fun. We will see you on the backside of hopefully a wonderful win over Arsenal and Chelsea picking up three more points in the Premier League to solidify our top four chances. But until then, you know what to do. Keep the blue flag flying high.